Today's guest on the podcast is endurance writer and author Matt Fitzgerald. I talk about it in the beginning of the episode, but we recorded almost a month ago and talked about in depth, in depth and detail about his book, 80-20 Triathlon. Well, lo and behold, I went to publish the episode and only my voice recorded. <laughs> so I was absolutely embarrassed and devastated and I called or I emailed Matt and I said, hey, you don't, you know, you probably don't want to re-record. That was long. And he's like, sure, I'm glad to re-record and we can do it on uh, March 26, which is publication day for my new book, Life is a Marathon. And I thought, sure, that sounds awesome. Cool. And he sends me a copy, a pre, pre-read copy of Life is a Marathon. And I open it up and in two nights I'm done with the book. For those of you who know Matt as a writer, you know that he's an expert in uh, nutrition and racing and all the factors that come with endurance, uh, running, swimming, biking. But this book is not about that. It's a memoir of love and endurance, and he ties together running marathons with his very delicate and intricate relationship with his wife, Nataki, who was diagnosed with bipolar disorder about five years into their marriage. It was an absolute joy um, laugh and, and riot to read this book. It was so funny, so heartbreaking, so much of the human condition. Wherever you are in your own life, you will find some ties to Matt's struggle and Nataki's struggle and how they came out on the other side together. Um, after one of her incidents, um, she went away for a while and then they, they split up for a little bit. I don't think ever officially. But when they came back together, Nataki said in the book, I've learned a lot since I've been away. At first, I was all broken up inside, but now I feel much stronger. I realized all my life I've been trying to find happiness in a man. I was always looking for someone to take care of me, maybe because I didn't get everything I needed from my dad. I even tried to do that with God, but now I realize I have to be happy in myself because I love myself. No man can do that, not even you. I want to be with you, Matthew, but I don't need you no more. I can take care of myself. And Matt said, I'm really glad to hear you say that. So that's just one little small snippet from the book. You guys, life is a marathon. Fantastic. And much gratitude to Matt Fitzgerald for taking more time out of his very busy life. And happy publication day. I hope you all enjoy this episode and pick up the book with Matt Fitzgerald. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day. And it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Matt Fitzgerald. Hi, Matt. How you doing? I'm good. So everyone, this is the second recording with Matt. Um, my bonehead uh, forgot to somehow record Matt on the, on the first time we recorded. <laughs> so welcome back. It's a pleasure to be back. So I'm actually glad I was telling Matt before we hit record that I was kind of glad. I know it was a sort of a pain that it didn't work out because today is publication day for his new book. Life is a Marathon, and because the first recording didn't take, I had a chance to read this book before um, today, and it is absolutely fantastic, Matt. Really a fabulous book. Those are words that every writer <laughs> dreams of hearing. 
Oh my gosh. You know, I've read a lot of your books over the years and I just sat down with this one and I know it says a memoir of love and endurance and, but I did not know just how soul bearing and raw and honest this book was. So how different was writing this book for you? You know, very, um, but you know, you know, I, I grew up, I, I grew up with a novelist as a father. Um, and I grew up always wanting to be a writer. And when I was young, you know, I, I sort of dreamed of writing this kind of thing, you know, um, no, I mean, not exactly this, obviously, but, you know, telling stories, um, and, and, you know, what I ended up, what ended up being my career is more of, you know, the sort of books that, of mine that you have read and which I enjoy writing because, um, I, I enjoy writing those books because, I have you know a huge passion for endurance sports, and I, you know, I enjoy uh, you know uh, sort of educating and inspiring my my fellow athletes. Um, but still, um, you know, th- though this book may come out of left field for for, <laughs> for some, like it, it is not so much for me, I guess. Um, yeah, well, because yeah. it's your life; it's your story. <laughs> right. Yep. Yeah, I don't know what I was expecting, but do you want to give us a little kind of recap or not or summary of what the book sort of is about? I mean, I want I have a million. You gave me this beautiful hardcover, and I've destroyed it with um, <laughs> pen ink and dog ears, which my mother would fuss at me about. But I just had I marked so many passages, and um, it's just so good. So, do you want to give us a little summary of what it's about? Yeah, so I think of it as a book about what running does for those for whom it does the most. Um, you know, people who have tested their limits, and this goes for all endurance sports, mainly focuses on running. People who have their physical and mental limits as endurance athletes, it can be a transformative experience. It certainly has been for me. Um, you know, it, it has given me um, a strength that I was not born with, you know, the first scene of the book is me failing to show up to the start of an important uh, track race in high school. Um, and the, the burden of shame that that left me with, um, something I carried with me, it might not sound like a big deal, but, um, as I say somewhere in the book, a coward on the race course is a coward off it. So Mm. I just, I just saw this gap between the person I was and the person I wanted to be. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, you know, as, as fate so arranged things, um, my wife, Nataki, developed bipolar disorder, um, you know, a few years into our marriage. Uh, she, she was diagnosed back in 2004, which ended up just being a much greater test of endurance than, than you know, the races that had, you know, sort of been more than I could handle even as, as, a, as an adolescent. So, um, but the stakes were so much higher because, you know, Mataki, my wife is my soulmate. Um, you know, this is that that's one that's one race, if, if I could use that metaphor, I was not going to quit on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in a weird way, um, you know, this you know, in a weird way, like pursuing strength and courage as an athlete prepared me uh, to you know be the husband and caregiver I have needed to be. Uh, for Nataki. So and it kind of sounds like two books in one, you know, it's sort of about, it's about running, but it's also the story of a marriage. But to me, you know, they're inextricably linked. And I hope that anyone, you know, who reads the book will see how, you know, they all kind of, they, they both, those threads, you know, tie together. Yeah. I mean, as someone who is married and who has done 
some marathons. <laughs> They're definitely <laughs> intertwined. So totally well done. I love at the end of the book where you say the one thing everyone wants is to be, be happy. We seek happiness in all we do, however misguidedly at times. To become the person you want to be, you must first define that person, and then you must work hard to close the gap between your current and best selves. I absolutely love that. And I think what was so just amazing about this book is how it was a, a story about you trying to become your best self, and in order to be the best version of yourself, you had to also take care, not take care of someone else, but also put someone else's needs first. And that turned out to be the way that you became the best version of yourself. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly right. Um, it, it, you know, there, there, there's, there's an odd tension, um, you know, that, the, you know, sort of a, you know, one of the themes in the book is, you know, the, the flaw in my character that I discovered early in life was, you know, sort of a faint heartedness, you know, a, a lack of metal. Um, and I, you know, I worked on that through uh, sport, but then in the context of my marriage, you know, because I, I was already with Nataki when I sort of, you know, got back in, you know, cause I had quit mm -hmm. uh, and then I got back into it. Um, and it was, you know, my journey. So I was you know, sort of working on myself so obsessively that a sort of second flaw was exposed, which, um, which I refer to in the book, is, uh, I think the phrase is an almost solipsistic self-absorption. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it, it is sort of interesting that, um, and then, you know, another point, I keep quoting myself here, another point in the book I said, so is running the, the problem with the solution? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it, there is a, it, it's a weird thing. Like, cause there, there's a, I was always destined for marriage. You know, I, I am, I, I wanted to find a soulmate. I wanted to have a partner in life's journey, but there's also a part of me that is ill suited to it personality wise. Cause I, I do tend to put myself first. So, you know, it's one of those things where I never, neither Nataki nor I ever could have wished upon ourselves, you know, the struggle that we've gone through, but it has, done me some good you know she did me a lot of good just by who she is before she got sick but the journey we've been on you know has you know we have had to grow we've had no choice but to grow in order to survive together and get to where we are today well one of the things i found so remarkable were some of the stories you told about when she would have her episodes and it almost you wanted to laugh and then you wanted to cry and then you would put yourself in your position and think, oh, my gosh, like how terrifying was there? Is there any story that you want to maybe tell tell us on the podcast so people can get an idea? Because until you read it all, you, you won't believe it. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, there's um, there was an article on uh, Outside Magazine uh, that was published just yesterday. I don't know if you saw it. Um, but one of the stories, so it's it's related to the book, you know, highly condensed, obviously. But uh, I, in there, I so I tell you know a, a, a brief version of what I probably consider our worst day, which came uh, three years after Nataki's diagnosis. And you know, bipolar bipolar can take many forms, and and for Nataki, um, you know, there one of the forms, one of the ways it manifested was, you know, occasional violence against me. She was never, she was never violent with, with anyone else. Uh, thank goodness. Um, but there would be times when she just, you know, uh, just kind of lost control and, and you know, I'm not going to blame myself, but 
I also I I did not know how to do my job as a caregiver terribly well. So I would not make the best moves in order to sort of, you know, when she was not doing well, I would I would sort of make things worse in an effort to make them better. And there was just one day when I found her burning some of her books um, and I tried to get her to stop and it became a, a physical altercation uh, with a knife involved. And this one, you know, Nataki is a, a, a strong athletic woman. You know, she's a little older now, but, but uh, back then, you know, it was sort of a fair fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, you know, and so you know, there were um, in some of those situations, you know, it, it was not clear to me that I was going to live uh, you know, as, as, as brutal as that sounds. That is how I experienced some of these moments. And, you know, we ended up flipping over a couch and, um, I, I, uh, you know, I, I did as little to fight back as I, as I could, um, in these situations. But in this particular situation, I popped her twice <laughs> with mm-hmm. a, with a closed fist and was able to extricate myself, flee, call the police. The police were called and arrested me for domestic battery. Right. Uh, and I went to jail. Um, the scene, it took all too long to unfold out, uh, in our cul-de-sac here. Um, lots of neighbors watching, um, and you know I spent the night in jail, and uh, and actually tried to take my own life the the next morning when I got out of jail. It was something I had thought about often, because um, I just I I was pretty hopeless. You know, it just you know we were trying so hard to to beat this thing and to move past it, but you know years were going by, and you know it's that ember of hope. It's hard to you know, it's hard to attach it to nothing. And at that moment, it just, it was, uh, uh, that was when I, I came very close to quitting again, um, with, you know, a lot more at stake than, than, uh, when I failed to show up to the start line of that track race in high school. I think it's just so amazing that you shared the story about, you know, how close you got to ending your life. I mean, I had a similar incident, not in the garage, but with alcohol when I was, early 20s and I it's always surprising to me how many people how how much we have in common with that one fact that life does get hard enough where we're just like I don't think I can do it and so I just want to thank you for sharing that because I think it's so important that that people read it and and see how you overcame it and but one thing that just cracked me up is how these altercations always seem to happen when you didn't have pants on (laughs) Or shoes, yeah. shoes, right? Yeah. But pants and another one. You didn't have pants on and another one. Well, I was I was stark naked in <laughs> in another, yeah, another situation. But Call yeah, me shoeless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I never wear shoes in the house, and so it's just comfortable. It's probably good for you, right? But you know, when you have to flee, it's uh not not so good. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, it's funny because, you know, it is a, a raw and real book, but th- there's quite a bit of humor in, yeah. in there. I um, mean, some things were so funny. You're just about to cry and then you say, you write something so funny. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just, you know, it, it's just it, the, the whole point was just to be authentic. And, and you know, you know, so I just I just kind of wrote it the way I experienced it and I wasn't trying to be funny. It just, you know, that's, that's what came out. And right. then at other, t- other times I wasn't, you know, maybe trying to tug on the heartstrings, but that's, that's also the way it came out. Yeah. You know? Well, how was it 
when you sat down to talk to Nataki about writing this book, I mean, you know, you're telling a lot of her stories and obviously you guys talked about it, but you know, where is she in all of this? Yeah. I mean, I mean, there's no, uh, to, to quote myself again, I won't, but in the author's note, you know, <laughs> I, I try to draw attention to, um, the, you know, the courage and trust it has taken on Nataki's part to allow someone else, I mean, granted her spouse, but not her to tell, you know, a version of her story and a story, you know, that has some of the elements that are, that, that hers, that ours has. I mean, that is rare. There are just not many wives who would have permitted that. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful for the, the trust she, you know, she um, put in me. Um, but, you know, it took a long time to get to this place. As, you know, it, it took five years before Nataki really would even tell anyone that she was bipolar. Um, you know, she, you know, she just didn't want to believe it. It's very common. And there's a name for it, for anisognosia, um, just, you know, just not accepting the reality of the illness. So um, it was a long process, but then, you know, eventually I was just talking to one of my brothers about this. It's one of those things that's hard until it's easy. It's sort of like, you know, like jumping off um, a bridge into the, into a river, you know, um, like you're scared to do it. Um, and then it's just about letting go, you know what I mean? And once you let go and you fall and you land in the water and it's refreshing and fun and you want to do it again, it's like, why was that so hard? Mm -hmm. And this was, uh, it's probably a terrible analogy, but this was sort of similar where the idea of just putting everything out there was terrifying until we embraced it. And the big thing, you know, Nataki's a healer by nature. She lives to, you know, you know, help people. Um, and, you know, when she got to a point in her journey uh, where she realized that she, that telling her story actually could help other people, that's when this was, this became something, you know, she, she really wanted to do. It's still scary as hell. I mean, the book was published today. That outside magazine article I mentioned came out yesterday. And we've been talking about it as recently as this morning that she's afraid of how people will re react to how they will look at her. So, you know, e even now it's not easy. Um, but, uh, but I, I, I'm very, very confident uh, that, that she won't regret it and that it really will help people. Well, just tell her I think she's great. And she's funny, too. Y'all are both very funny. I would like to share her <laughs> with you. <laughs> well, what I thought was so interesting, like I said, I've read I've read so many of your books along um, throughout the years. Like, How Bad Do You Want It is one of my absolute favorites. And I kind of looked them up on the Internet like while I was reading Life is a Marathon and put a timeline in my head together about when all this was going on. And I and you were writing these other books and it's just so interesting how you really never know what someone is going through. I mean, you're, you're writing these books, you, you're an expert in your field, and then this is going on at home. And I just thought that the fact that you shared all of that in this book just really gave an amazing perspective on the fact that you really never know what someone's battles are. No, you know, honestly, you know, even though I, I lived it, sometimes I look back on we're really talking about, you know, a, a full decade right. when things were not good. Um, you know, we, we had good days and, and I don't want to um, paint it with too broad a brush. It, it was it was a it was a rough decade. 
But then, yeah, from the outside looking in, it was a very productive decade where, you know, I'm I'm writing books and 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 racing. But, um, but I had to, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, Nataki couldn't work, um, you know, and, and, you know, running for me was was an outlet and a source of strength. So it, you know, it helped, though it wasn't always easy to run if I had not slept, you know, the, the night before. Or, or if you had been nights. barefoot running through the streets. <laughs> yeah. And there's also stuff, you know, you know, I couldn't put everything in the book, but there were times when, um, you know, I couldn't be at home. Uh, so I would have to camp out somewhere and, you know, and, and still, you know, just find a way to get in front of that computer and, and, and pay the bills. And, um, you know, I, I'm not really looking for any more sympathy than readers of the book will, will be inclined to give me. But, I it, you know... I don't think it's sympathy. I mean, I just have, it's just respect. I mean, I just feel nothing but more respect than I had for you before. I mean, that's what, because it's like, wow, he was pumping out those amazing books and he was sleeping on whatever couch you could find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 It was, uh, it, it is what it is. You yeah. know, I, I'm, I'm so glad, you know, even now I wonder, boy, could I go through it again? Uh, cause I, I you know, I, I am stronger and wiser now, but, Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you don't have to. You know, hopefully you just don't have to redo it. No, well, it's um, like, you know, the, the the work that we've done, it can't be undone. Um, yeah. So, you know, there will, you know, life remains hard. You know, um, so um, you know there there are more challenges ahead for us, but you know they will be different, and I think we're ready for them, whatever they are. So the book is Life is a Marathon, a Memoir of Love and Endurance, and today is publication day, so happy day, happy day. So I do want to talk about your other book, 8020 Triathlon, a little bit before you go. Um, this is more of the Matt Fitzgerald we're all accustomed to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we covered this in great detail in the podcast that will never be, but let's talk um, a little bit about what 8020 Triathlon is and um how it works like the the training philosophy yeah so the that the, the those numbers that radio 20 refers to what is considered um in you know contemporary science and real world best practice to be the optimal intensity balance for pretty much all endurance sports um the 80 being uh referring to low intensity and the 20 percent referring to moderate to high intensity so um if the idea is that if you train with that balance of intensity, which virtually all elite endurance athletes do and virtually no one else does. Uh, so, you know, if you uh, train with that, it, so it's sort of a, a universal. Uh, if you, if you train with that intensity balance, it's better than pretty much any alternative. Um, that, that's it in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah. And so why don't people train, this way? Why don't people train the way they should train? <laughs> it's probably a better question. Yeah, a variety of reasons. So it should be said, you know, so what are most people doing? Uh, like the typical, like competitive recreational runner is spending about 50% of his or her weekly training time at moderate intensity. I refer to it as the moderate intensity rut. So most people, when they think they're training easy, are training sort of moderate as physiologists uh, define it, exercise physiologists. Um, for triathletes who are sometimes higher volume, it, it's maybe closer to like 70, 30, 65, 35, which sounds like in the ballpark of 80, 20, but, um, it's, it's not, it, you know, it's, um, 
it's not close enough. It's like it's not good enough. You, you, you know, if you go from 65, 35 to 80, 20, uh, you will feel better and perform better and, and, and get fitter. Um, as to why I, I, there's, in the book, I, I identify eight, no fewer than eight reasons that people get stuck in the modern intensity rut. One of them simply is that, um, you know, non-elite athletes have a smaller low intensity range. So, you know, if you take someone who is, you know, a relative beginner, maybe is carrying a few uh, extra pounds on them, um, you know, and it's just maybe, you know, not the most genetically gifted, just if someone with, you know, an average talent for the sport, that person, when they, you know, go out and, and jog at 12 minutes per mile is may, maybe already close to uh, what's known as the ventilatory threshold, which is the threshold between low and moderate intensity. So whereas, you know, a, an elite male triathlete, can run at five and a half minutes per mile and and still be at low intensity. Technically, you know, the rest of us can't really do that. So we have we have less room to work with, and we need to be like more you know disciplined and restrained. When when our intent is to train at low intensity, uh, you know, it takes some monitoring, uh, you know, to stay at low intensity. Mm-hmm. Another one of your books and we talked about last time is diet cults and. Um how messed up people are about nutrition. I know this personally. And I mean, all you got to do is just turn on your Facebook, turn on Facebook, who turns on Facebook, turn on the TV, turn on Facebook. And you see how messed up we all are about nutrition. So this book is probably one of your, I guess, lesser known books, but it's, it's really good too. So, um, I did want to bring some attention to it. What was, what was the kind of impetus behind that book? Yeah. So, you know, like, like anyone who, you know, I'm, I'm a sports nutritionist. I've written a lot about nutrition. I I counsel athletes. I've consulted for sports nutrition companies. And so anyone in that position where they're in a professional capacity telling other people how to eat, um, well, inevitably you run up against some resistance and pushback because people are getting all kinds of discordant messages from like just as you suggested everywhere they turn so you know i'm i'm preaching one gospel but they're you know the person i'm trying to reach is hearing 99 other gospels and and so it's frustrating when you feel like you're you are offering good information it's just like just do what i say i promise (laughs) but but people like just simply getting buy-in is really difficult and i almost majored in sociology back in college and so there's a little bit of an amateur sociologist so i became pretty interested in the why, you know, why do, pe- do people have such a hard time kind of thinking straight about, right, about, about what food, we eat, food and nutrition. So diet cults is really a, a, a book, a book that attempts to answer that question. Um, you know, it's, it's my best attempt to like kind of reach the people who, um, you know, just are susceptible to some of the messages that, you know, maybe sound great, but you know, aren't scientific <laughs> things in the world. Yeah. Well, Matt, I'm not going to keep you on publication day. I know it's busy and I'm just so grateful you came back on and thank you for your new book, Life is a Marathon. It's going to make a big difference. And please tell Nataki that she's a star and I'm thankful she let you write it as well. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she's an earshot and, and overheard that. So yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll thank you on her behalf. And yeah, I'm just really tickled that you enjoyed the book and got something out of it. Um, I reviewed it on Amazon. See, my book came out, what, two weeks ago, and I know the importance of the Amazon review. I was, think it was the fourth review today. So everyone needs to re- read it and review it. <laughs> check, 
Your check is in the mail, Meredith. <laughs> All right, Matt. We'll take care, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks.